Hi, I'm Sharon Fitchman. And I'm Dylan Moskovich. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the, the Functional, Functional Tennis, Tennis Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to episode 102 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host. This week, I have a super fun chat with our first ever traveling tennis couple on the show, Sharon Fickman and Dylan Moscovich. Sharon was one of the world's best juniors who took an indefinite break during her senior career, made a return in 2018 when she got inspiration from her partner, Dylan. Sharon is currently ranked 32 on the doubles WTA rankings. Dylan is a renowned international pair skater who has competed at the world's highest level. We chat about how they met, how Dylan's positive energy inspires Sharon, differences with the skating and tennis world, traveling together and a lot more. Before we get started, a shout out to our podcast sponsor Slinger. Slinger make the awesome portable ball machine, the Slinger Bag. Head over to slingerbag.com to find out all about it. Okay, here we go. Hi guys, welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Thanks hey, for having us. thank you so much for having us. It's great to have two people on the show. Normally we just interview one. Though one at a time, I had two Canadian skiers on the show. Actually, two skiers and their physio, which was a great show. We learned about some Olympic skiers. So it's great. We're back to the ice and we're back to Canada. So thank you very much for coming on. But you guys have just landed in Paris. That's right. Literally just landed and barely unpacked our stuff. <laughs> Thanks a lot for making this happen. And I just recently saw, you were in Italy recently, I saw your beautiful photos of Pasta Positano, Rome. I was extremely jealous. Haven't been, you could say Italy is my second home. My parents are Italian, haven't been there in a couple of years with COVID. So I was extremely jealous. What was your favorite part of Italy? It's almost a mean question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were there for tennis and then we stayed a little bit for vacation and Rome went really well. It was a very up and down week. We we started not even in the draw and then we ended up getting in as alternates and then winning the tournament. So it was really stressful. It started like, you know, up and down and, you know, obviously winning there was incredible and that's like a humongous highlight. But at the same time, I really enjoyed just being a tourist in Rome and then our kind of last second impromptu getaway to Positano, which neither of us had been to before. It was incredible. I've never seen a place like that. It's extraordinary. It's definitely one of the best places and most beautiful places I've ever been. And the people were amazing. Aside from the food, because that's always, you know, a highlight. I'd say probably one of the best moments I had off the court was riding those electric scooters. They're like, those, yeah, you just like, you just kind of book them with an app and the app was bird or something. And yeah. we just like reserved it and then, you know, started it. And then we had it and we got like an all-day pass and we could just fly around Rome and it was so great and and no one's there because of covid there's no tourists so i was just like you know ripping down those cobblestone streets like yeah it was oh, great. It was what easy. a great way to see rome it was my it first was. time since i was 4 so really it's my first time in italy and my first time in rome so being able to you know see the city that way boot around on these electric scooters and and go to as many sites as possible we had a blast Mm -hmm. It sounds like you guys had Italy all to yourself. 
In yeah, a lot of ways, yeah. In a lot of ways, yeah. Paris is full of those electric scooters there. So you can hopefully, you have a bit of time to sightsee. I know it's business from now on in, but I'm interested obviously to find out how you guys know each other and obviously how you travel as a couple, what that's like. Because I've never, I've never tried to a couple who, you know, are traveling and what's good about it, what's tough about it. When Sharon's on court, Dylan, are you in the stands or are you sightseeing or what are you up to? Are you doing a bit of work on the road? But let's first talk about how did you guys meet? Well, we met a long time ago. Uh, my brother was a competitive tennis player and he trained the Toronto Cricket Skating and Curling Club in Toronto, where I actually was training as a skater as well. And at the time, Milos was training there as well. And uh, Sharon's childhood friend, Mia, was training there and she was friends with Misha. And actually, my brother's Misha. And I said, I think my brother had a crush on Sharon. <laughs> they were like 12 or something. <laughs> yeah, I was Yeah, 12. and Sharon came... They were going to go um, on the public skating session after I was training with my sister. And so I, I met her there once when she was 12 and I was 18. So yeah. like we, knew, we knew, you know, of each other. And we, we actually had the same sports psychologist for many years and we never crossed paths again. We were both in the Jewish newspaper at the same time. And then um, she popped up on my Facebook feed sometime in the spring of 2017. And I was like, oh. I wonder how she's doing. I wonder how her career is. So I, I sent her a shameless DM and uh, <laughs> we, uh, we started chatting and you were, you were just in the midst of uh, moving back to Toronto from Vancouver. And I, I asked her twice to meet up. The first time she kind of, I was like, yeah, let me know when you get back. And she was like, yeah, for sure. She was in Austria. And, and then she got back and didn't message me. And so oh. I messaged her again. And then uh, she succumbed to my <laughs> charm. And then we ended up chatting quite a bit on the phone. And then we ended up going on one um, dinner date. And then the rest was history. We moved in together three and a half months later. Wow. And Sharon, you weren't playing tennis at the time where you were taking a break. Yeah, I was taking an indefinite break at that time. I had just actually started coaching and I started, I was really enjoying it, which I wasn't sure if I was going to when I initially decided I'd uh, give coaching a go, but I ended up enjoying it. And then I ended up really loving it. So that was, I would say my doorway back into tennis and competitive tennis. Cause I started working with high performance juniors and then traveling on contract uh, for tennis Canada with the top juniors for some tournaments and events. And I loved that. And then, um, yeah, Dylan, you know, kind of through Dylan, uh, in a very, you know, unconventional, surprising way was inspired to come back and play again. But at the time when we met, yeah, tennis, if you'd asked me or if you'd told me, sorry, that I would be talking to you at the French Open in 2021, I would probably tell you to go to the nearest psych ward. <laughs> <laughs> you were done with it. I was not in a in the space to kind of entertain the idea of competing. She wasn't in love with tennis, so we could, mm -hmm. it's probably the safest way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Sharon, you were, were you world number one junior? For 12 and under, I guess. I mean, I don't think they had formal rankings, but like I won the Orange Bowl, which is, I guess, the biggest yeah. international tournament. So 12 and under, I guess I was like the unofficial world number one in that sense, if you want to go for it that way. And then for under 18s, which there is a ranking. I think my best was number five. I stopped playing juniors when I was 16. But uh, yeah, I think it was number five. So there's a lot of pressure. I mean, what I was trying to get it, there's a lot of pressure. You were 
you know, when you win titles at such a young age, there's expectations, maybe not from yourself, but from people around you. Maybe not even parents, could be agent sponsors, the local relatives or not. So that must take its toll. And it was, was is that all the reasons why you decided to take a break? I mean, initially, actually, I, I got burnt out when I was 16. And I would say that those reasons definitely were a large part of, of that decision. And then I, I actually started to play again. I, I was thinking I was going to go the college route in the US. I, I got you know, the opportunity to get a, a full scholarship at a, at a number of really good schools. So I was thinking that I was going to do that. But then I ended up really enjoying competing again in that grace year that I took from graduating high school and going to university. And uh, so that, yes, there, but then in, in you know, the, the spring of 2016, when I took that like indefinite break from tennis, that was more a combination of, you know, frustration with injuries. I was like, physically really just not where I wanted to be. I was I was coming back from knee surgery and I had never really kind of got my my footing. Um, I kept getting injured on again, off again. And I was also really struggling with my training base. I, I think in hindsight, I, I stayed in that situation a little too long. And that was just really frustrating for me mentally. But yeah, I, I was really struggling with kind of my physical well-being on and off the court. I, I just couldn't string together enough months in a row to be healthy. And then my ranking was dropping and that was frustrating. So it was more just, I kind of fell out of love with tennis due to my circumstances, unfortunately, off the court more than anything. It's a brave decision to do at such a, you know, you're young to say, okay, I'm taking the breaks. I'm sure many people keep on slogging away and it just gets worse and worse. So that was brave. But I want to quickly touch on to Dylan. I did YouTube Dylan. I saw some of those great uh, skating movements that you have. Like I always used to watch it on Eurosport when I was a kid, like these guys, I'd, I'd never be able to do that though I did when I was about 11, 12 I did ballroom dancing for a while just I was forced to do it by my parents but it didn't last long but the skating is another ball game so tell us quickly I read you're a decorated skater that's a nice title like you didn't mess around you were up there with the best go big or go home right yeah, definitely. So tell us how competitive is the skating world? And, you know, you're, you're up there at the Olympics and the World Championships. It's fascinating traveling the tennis worlds and seeing how they live and how the whole thing works because it's so different than figure skating. I mean, I would say there are some similarities in the actual action and, and biomechanics, but the lifestyle is so opposite. We, in, in skating, we get maybe six, seven competitions a year. And the rest of the time was training and preparation. And we pretty much knew our schedule, maybe May or June, up until, you know, from when the season started, we'd know like May or June, and it would start usually September. And, and until March, we knew everything working backwards. So everything was regimented in, in a schedule. We trained six days a week. We'd have uh, loading phases planned with our, our physiologist and our, our fitness trainers and our psychologists. It was all about this building towards a peak. And if it was a, a world, you know, not an Olympic year, it was all about the world championships or getting there. So you had to adjust your peaks and, and there was a lot of planning involved and also a lot of time to sit and stew and overthink it, which is probably one of the harder parts about it. But we were we just trained and slogged away and perfected all the minutia of, you know, you know, with ballroom dancing, the details and the well, well. <laughs> the body. But, it, you know, it, any kind of performance based task like that or competition, they're judged, they're splitting hairs. 
I mean, not mixed with politics, but we won't get into that. <laughs> um, you can't escape it. It was definitely interesting, you know, now comparing the two worlds and kind of looking back on my career from a different lens and seeing how different it is. And it feels like ancient history now. I've been retired three years, but it feels like a hundred years ago. <laughs> Well, uh, no, no. um, Do you still like do a bit of work in it? Yeah, I do broadcasting. Sometimes I do commentary. I co-host a show for CBC Sports, um, their YouTube page. And I do some coaching here and there. I've actually just got asked to do Stars on Ice as a big tour in Canada. So that'll be my first kind of return to skating in a long time. Brilliant, brilliant. And Sharon refers to, I read this online, it's a pathological optimist. Can you tell us what that means, Sharon, and how that's helped you? Uh, you read correctly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dylan is just so positive. And there's not much to elaborate on. I feel like the title really just explains itself. But, you know, I find that it's not common to meet someone that no matter the situation, they just always look on the bright side. And if something's challenging or difficult or uncomfortable, Dylan just, you know, he either just puts his head down and does it, or he makes it fun or makes a joke out of it, or, you know, finds a way to spin it into something great and, you know, is very grateful and and always looking on the bright side. And even situations that like, just there's no bright side, he makes a bright side. (laughs) So I try. Yeah, he's just a very happy person. And I'm very lucky. It's had such an effect on me in a good way, because I would say I'm realistically optimistic. (laughs) Is that a thing? I don't know. But you're hard on yourself. I'm very hard on myself. I am optimistic, but I think I'm a little bit at times too realistic. And that's not a bad thing. But in order to achieve great things, you have to be a little crazy and you have to be, I would say, overly optimistic. Otherwise, it's very difficult to achieve extraordinary things. And Dylan really, you know, brings that out in me. And if I overthink something and think, you know, how can I do this? Or, you know, why? He'll say, well, why not? You know, and just be super supportive and find a way to make kind of everything either a challenge or fun or just you know, a, just always put a positive spin on things. Like your full-time psychologist with you. Yeah. Or maybe there's a better word in psychologist. Like, no, it's, you know, partner. That's what I did. I was a, I was a parasite. Yeah. So yeah. to me, the, I feel like I've had a lifetime of practice with it. Yeah. Kind of interesting because you did, your parasite and was with a female. So, you know, you sort of understand what the female goes through. Many times I've heard where coaches don't connect with females, male coaches, and some do. And it's just some understand the female that bit better. And, they, you know, they're in tune with their emotions and they know, there's challenges for everybody and I can see that being a big advantage. This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever. Get the new Cord FF3 Novak or Gel Resolution 9 at ASICS.com. ASICS Tennis have also just launched their new Cord FF3 Novak, the only tennis shoe designed with Novak Djokovic input. To learn more about ASICS, visit their website www.asics.com. 
But going back, Sharon, what was the big decision turn that Dylan helped you make to go back to tennis? Did it involve a little accident? Was that part of it? So we started dating in the middle of my last season. It was the lead up to the 2018 Olympics in Pyeongchang. And my partner for that uh, Olympic cycle, Lubov Ilyashechkina, was from Russia. And we ended up getting her immigration papers or citizenship signed by the Canadian immigration minister personally, maybe six weeks before nationals where they decide the team. And going into that nationals, we were from the previous season, we were second at nationals and sixth in the world. And we were in a good spot. Probability wise, we looked like a good shoe in to make the team. And then three weeks before nationals, a 200 pound door fell on my face while I was uh, lying in a Pilates studio. And so it was mirrored and the mirror broke and cut up my hand and my face. And I had a pretty bad concussion. And uh, I ended up competing on about, I think, three days practice. And I was still not right. You know, my balance was off and which can be a little dangerous with pairs, but I held it together. But we ended up coming fourth and missing the team by a spot. And that was the end of my career. And so that happened. (laughs) And when that happened, that was obviously a unforeseen turn in Dylan's career and how he thought, you know, he would be finishing his last year or years of skating. So his goal was to go to two Olympics. And because he missed uh, Pyeongchang by a spot and was unable to go to that second Olympics. Um, I was inspired to come back and to try and make the Tokyo Olympics so that he could come with me and he can say he's been to two Olympics. So that was the backstory and then the inspiration. And you had, and you had a frozen ranking, which I was about, a, was going to expire in the, the spring. A special, a special ranking. A special rank. Ranking. Yeah. Protective ranking. It was from your injury. So it was going to expire in the spring. And I kind of, you know, I, I know, I knew Sharon had a tough relationship with her tennis career and there were unhealed things there. And I, I really encourage, this is before the Olympic thing came up, but I really encouraged her to use the ranking and play a tournament just for fun, even if she never played another one again, but to, to finish tennis in a way that she had like a, f- a fond memory to look back on you know, and and find a way to make it fun again and to fall back in love with the fact that she was a professional tennis player and was and was and is amazing at it. And her agent Marla and I kind of were on the same page. So the three of us went to Florida and she played uh, an ITF event. I think you practiced like three days, five days or something in two years. And you're like, all right, let's do this. And we went and she 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 went around and went to the quarters and then kind of was like, you know, this is kind of more fun than I remember tennis being. And I, I remember saying like, okay, you know what? I, I would do that again. I yeah. think those were my examples. Yeah, Yeah, I could do that again. That was more fun than I expected. And then... The rest is history. The rest is history. Here we are at the here French we, Open. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, you're in a great position. Main draw, Roland Garros. What did you say? 36 in the world? Uh, I think I'm 31. I don't know oh, what I'm going to be. You know, the rankings now are unfrozen. So I think things can fluctuate based on who drops. You're in a great position, one in Rome. Tell me, what's it like? First of all, I just thought this right now. Dylan, do you play any tennis? I'm obsessed. Do you get tips? Do you get competitive? You, you're, you're an athlete in the world, you know, when you're top at your, your game. And Sharon, you're both competitive people. Do you get competitive in a lot of things you do? Not a lot. He's like, he's really patient. He's like super 
whatever you need, babe. Like, it's all good. <laughs> with my own tennis, yeah. Like, I joined a men's yeah. league and I, yeah, yeah, I'm obsessed yeah. with it. I love, I, I missed competing. Yeah, but I would say between us, like, I don't think we're that. No, no, no. 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 He's pretty, I, he's pretty cool. Does he have potential on the court, Sharon? He's super athletic. He's, I mean, he's keen. He's, you know, a great athlete. He's got good hand-eye coordination. He's used to catching humans. So, you know, timing a ball is is a lot easier. Um, yes and no. And he also <laughs> grew up around tennis. His brother yeah. played. and I played as a kid too. Yeah, so, so I, can, no, I can play a bit. We may get him a wild card into a tournament next year. You know, I keep telling her I'm going to get an ATP point. And she oh. laughs at me every time. It is tough. I actually, I would love to play more league matches when the world opens back up. I'm currently nursing a shoulder injury. He knows the excuses, Sharon. Yeah, shoulder injury. He knows the excuses, the good excuses, the shoulder injury. That has nothing to do with tennis. <laughs> yeah. True. So let's quickly talk about traveling. What's it like traveling as a couple? Like normally you can travel with your coach or your physio, your team, and you can hide from them, Sharon. Like if you have a bad day or you just want some fresh air, you can say, coach, you get to your room. I'm just going to do my own thing. There's not much hiding here. So I can see you guys get on great and beautiful to see and to hear. But no matter how optimistic you are, there's tough times at certain. So how do you deal with that being so close together and traveling all the time? My first thing, instinct is like, he's so patient. I know I've said it before. <laughs> I try. I try. He's very patient. Also, like he's my best friend. So I know that it's it's obviously like, a lot of hats that, that he wears when he's with me, but he's just the first person I would call anyways when good something good happens or something bad happens. And now he's just always here. So I have to call him. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, for the most part, it's fantastic. We have such a great time. It is obviously a unique situation primarily because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The inability to go home for us is really what's making kind of the traveling as a couple for so long, you know, what it is. I would say normally, you know, Dylan wouldn't be able to be on the road with me this long. And I certainly wouldn't be on the road for this long because we haven't gone home since January 1st. But it's, we're just very lucky that we get on so well, that we're best friends. And it really helps that Dylan is a former athlete himself. And he's extraordinarily patient. He's, you know, been partners with a female most of his life. So this isn't a new situation spending copious amounts of time with with a woman. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm very fortunate and I can't imagine being, you know, where I am at this moment if he hadn't been with me the last handful of months. Yeah, it, it is hard it, it's definitely hard sometimes though in the sense that you can kind of lose your your individuality, you know, especially when if a tournament's very much a tight bubble and there's not a lot of places to go you know like yeah. for us we both really like doing yoga it's yoga and meditation is a very big part of my everyday life and you're kind of at the mercy of what your hotel room looks like in that week and so some weeks when it's tighter it's a little harder we don't we, we kind of like don't get into a flow of having our own individual space i'm in school for um actually mental training for wellness and mindset coaching. So it's great that, you know, we, I get to practice and we work on that stuff together, but also I have to find time to be, you know, with the time change to be ready for class and I need quiet. I was doing some acting classes over Zoom on the road and wow. that 
that made it interesting. You know, like 8 p.m. I was in conference rooms at hotels, running scenes and yelling at my scene partner through a computer screen. But, you know, you make it work. You make it work. And um, I'm really happy that I am stuck on the road with her and uh, getting to see the world and support her. And I think this is a, this year is a, it's so far, it's been a really big year for her, a great year. And I'm happy to be, to be supporting and sharing. So it's 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 important to have these other activities for you anyway too. So you're not all day hanging around the tennis court. Sharon, when are we going? When's when's training finished? Do you enjoy watching the practice sessions? I go to pretty much every practice on court. The official uh, ball collector. I have my own racket and my own uh, tennis shoes, and I walk around. I know all the coaching stances and poses. So I got the sunglasses. You know, the racket under my arm with my arms crossed. I know exactly how to look like a coach. <laughs> I'm probably more involved than people would think. I help with her fitness. I help with the mental stuff. I watch her play so much and I've watched her play at home with her coach so many times and listen to his corrections. Because the biomechanics, there are some similarities and I used to teach martial arts. So there's there's some biomechanic kind of uh, similarities to throwing a punch is when you're hitting the ball. So I can kind of see little things, maybe not, I'm getting better at understanding the tactics of doubles, but I can kind of see the way she's moving and give her some suggestions. Like, uh, you know, you're missing that shot a few times in a row because you're, you're popping out of your legs too early. It, when you hit it better, it's usually your rhythm is a little different or you stay grounded a little more. So sometimes she just ignores me or tells me to shut up. But for the most part, I feel pretty lucky that I get to uh, be involved you sound like a great help. And you say you both do yoga. But Sharon, did you do yoga before you stopped playing or is it a new thing? And do you feel it really helps? I've never done yoga this consistently before. So it was definitely a thing that we actually started doing during COVID. Like once when, you know, March 20, March 2020 hit. Yeah. Wow. We started to do yoga daily. And then now it's just we do it daily, sometimes twice a day, and it's part of our lifestyle. But I had done yoga prior, but not part of my daily routine the way it is now. And would you put it down to one of the benefits of you playing so good now? Yeah, absolutely. Yoga and meditation is like a game changer. I know it's a very cliche way of putting it, but <laughs> my mental health and, and well-being has improved so much due to that, due to doing yoga daily and meditating. And then obviously also having Dylan here to help and support me has been incredible. But without uh, without yoga and meditation, I think my year would have looked very, very different. <laughs> I would say, especially with this lifestyle these tennis players have, of mm -hmm. like you constantly on there's no rebuilding. There's just like peaks and more peaks. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the higher peak for the slams and then you kind of can come down to like a 90% peak. But, you know, the the act of committing time out of your day to spend time with yourself and prioritize your mental health and prioritize emptying your cup and finding some stillness and finding peace within yourself with all the madness going on around you, it's... I don't know. I think it's invaluable. I, I'm amazed not more athletes do it because a normal person's mind is always going. An athlete's mind is even more so because there's so many things you have to think about and there's so, so much anticipation and so much desire and passion uh, and you want things to happen a certain way. So I think, you know, being able to press pause and let go of all of it and just be completely present in a moment without needing anything else that's the kind of stuff where you're in the middle of a tough match and you can kind of hit the reset button and take those 
whatever, 20 something seconds and find a new a new place to go to. It, it helps a lot. Nice. And two more questions. One is plant-based, both of you guys. Obviously, I think that's hard enough to travel and find the right food. But even with the current lockdown situations, how hard has it been to keep the diet? It's been a challenge at times. There's been some tournaments or some cities where it's been quite easy or convenient. But yeah, there there are tournaments where, you know, you have to push really hard to to get, you know, even one plant-based option. Um, because at tournaments, it's actually not in the rule book to provide a vegan option. It's a, a vegetarian or a vegan option. So we're we're pushing to to change that and just have one thing um that's that's there because there are, you know, a growing number of athletes that are eating plant-based and predominantly plant-based. So it can be a challenge, but for us, we you know, we were really tied to being plant-based, not just from a health perspective. It started from a health perspective, but it just strengthened due to, you know, the environmental impact um, of the animal agriculture industry. And, you know, we watched a ton of documentaries and really educated ourselves. And the ethical part of it was, you know, undeniable once we really saw what was happening. So for us, yes, it's challenging in COVID. It's more challenging because we can't just pop out and run to the grocery store, or, you know, figure it out on our own. We are kind of at the helm of what the tournament provides or what, you know, Deliveroo or Uber Eats has nearby. But we are very yeah. tenacious with our efforts because it, it really is important to us. And also health-wise, we feel a lot better. Yeah, I would say health-wise, it's we feel healthy, but for us, the the drive is not, it's not a diet. It's it's very much a belief system, and um, it's very important to us. We're both very outspoken and active, and do our part to try and educate people on kind of the horrors of the animal agriculture industry and the environmental issues worldwide, and and the contribution of uh, the animal agriculture industry. We just you know, we know that each person can play a role to make the world better. And, and we happen to have a bit more of a platform than the average person. So we, we try and use that and advocate for the animals who don't speak human languages. <laughs> nice. Are you fans of Rich Roll? Rich Roll? Nope. No. I don't know. Nope. Check him out. I have his book here, plant-based book. He's an ultra marathon runner. Okay. It rings a bell. I've definitely heard of uh, his book. We should check it out for sure. I've heard of these ultra marathon runners that's wild he's he's a machine like he's impressive he's very impressive and also marcus daniel we had him on the show about i don't know three months ago and he was we were heavily talking about his experience when he you know from his kid living on a farm animal to his currently now he's advocating a lot of this so which is great yeah we're both ambassadors for high impact athlete ah brilliant and i'm, I'm actually working with him on starting up a podcast for hia so uh, i might be hitting you up for some uh, podcast advice <laughs> anytime, anytime, anytime. I'm here to help. Our last question is the Olympics. Are they happening this year? To my knowledge, they're happening. Yeah. Unless you or I hear otherwise, we're getting ready for that. Great. Well, it'd be great to get Dylan to the Olympics. Thank you guys for jumping on. I can't wait to check out. I know doubles doesn't start. This will air week two of Roland Garros. So hopefully I know double starts a bit later week one, but hopefully you're still rolling in the draw and you can repeat the success of Rome. And hopefully one day I'll see Dylan on the practice court. He can give me a bit of advice. What's going on with my shots? Got to tap back into those uh, dancer legs and hips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Thank you very much. Enjoy Paris. You get on the scooters and yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks Thank for having us. Thank you so us. much. 
I hope you enjoyed that chat. It was super fun to have a couple on the show. I hope to do it again in the future. And it was great to learn about them. I'll be back next week. And until then, get out and play some tennis. Bye. Bye.